This morning, the reading is being taken from Revelation 20. And we're reading the first 10 verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient servant, serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who, to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are a good father, a wonderful father, an awesome God. Thank you that you know everything, that you have everything planned. Lord, we pray, Lord, this morning that you would bless John as he comes to speak, that you would give him words, Lord, from you and from your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that this is the day, Lord, the triumphal day of Jesus. The day, Lord, that he rode on the donkey, coming in on Palm Sunday, Lord, into Jerusalem. And Lord, he will come again, Lord, triumphantly. And thank you for this time this morning. Lord, open us so that we are willing to receive your word and ready to put it into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Scarlett, uh, again, morning everyone. So this morning is going to be, it's going to feel a little different, I would say, in the fact that we are wrapping up our Revelation series today, uh, just before Easter, as planned, that never happens. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, but 
We're wrapping up Revelation today, but what we're going to do today is go back and look at something that I talked about a few weeks ago uh, in Revelation 20, and that is the millennium. It is a thousand years. I want, to, I want to look at that. I want to look at the different positions on that. And then what I'm going to do is take just three takeaways from the book of Revelation. And so really to wrap it up, to round it off, three takeaways that we can take away from the book of Revelation uh, as we've studied it together. So what we're looking at today first is this, the millennium that is talked about in Revelation 20. So millennium is not just our Robbie Williams song, uh, but it is this period of a thousand years that is mentioned in Revelation uh, chapter 20. And I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably feel, as I say, it's going to feel a little bit different today because, and you're probably going to see me reading a whole lot more today because these definitions are quite technical. So it's, it's going to be a wee bit more technical this morning than the first part, but hopefully we'll get that done and then we'll, 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 we'll move on to the, to the three takeaways. This period of a thousand years of Christ's reign, this reign of Christ mentioned in Revelation 20, this passage is notoriously difficult to interpret. And it has been the, the source of debate for literally over 2,000 years now. So let me just say right up front, there's no way in the next 20 to 30 minutes that we're going to nail this, all right? There is no way that we're going to, especially when I'm explaining it, you'll probably walk out more confused than you walked in. Let's just be honest. But we're going to give it a go. It is notoriously difficult to uh, interpret. What this comes under, the, the big theological term that this comes under, is the doctrine of eschatology, right? The doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of end times, basically. This a thousand years comes under that uh, doctrine of eschatology. There's three primary positions on the, three historical primary positions on the millennium. There is amillennialism, there is premillennialism, and there is post-millennialism, right? I'm not going to tell you where I land. Ha <laughs> ha! And then I'll just get you to guess. No, no, I'll, I'll, once we go through them, I'll get you to guess. No, I won't, because we could open up massive debates, and I'm not doing that. So, but you'll probably know. Amillennialism, post-millennialism, and premillennialism. Different eschatologies associated with the, the millennium, and they relate to the timing of things. They relate to when Christ comes back. Is it before this millennium? Is it after this millennium? Is it when, when's the timing? So, as I say, three primary views a millennium, post millennium, pre millennium. All right? I would refer you to a, a video on YouTube. It's, it's, I think it's on the Desiring God YouTube channel where there is a round table discussion between Sam Storms, John Piper, Doug Wilson, and someone else. I, I can't remember the guy's name, the fourth guy. There's, there's four guys discussing this very thing, right? They are way more intelligent than I. They are way more experienced than I. They have way more wisdom than I. They all have different positions on this, and they are all, the four of them, are guys that I would respect. And they can sit around a table and they can have conversations on this topic and not fall out. That's probably one of the most important things about this. All right? It has been said of the millennium that it is supposed to be a th the thousand years of Christ's peaceful reign that Christians love to fight about. All right? 
So the main thing here is that we can talk about these things, we can discuss these things, but we must not let them divide us. They are not primary issues. They are not salvation issues. They're secondary issues. And so they can't let it, we can't let them divide us, all right? So, that being said, let me start off with a summary of the amillennial position, all right? What does it mean to be amillennial? So, amillennial, amillennialists, I'm going to get my this morning, all right? So, just bear with me. A lot of big words. Amillennialists expect no literal millennial kingdom, all right? They see the thousand years as a, symbol, as a symbolic number, all right? Now, what have we, what have we witnessed? Um, I, can't, I can't help myself. What have we witnessed throughout Revelation about numbers? They are symbolic, all right? So amillennialists come to the thousand years, and they read that as symbolic, okay? They don't believe there is a literal thousand years reign coming. Amillennialists interpret the millennium as describing the present age, all right? This age that we live in from Christ's death until Christ's return. Jesus talks a lot about, in the Gospels, this be, there, there being two ages. He, he doesn't make it any more complicated than that. He, he talks repeatedly in the Gospels about being in this age or the age to come. All right? That's, he says that on repeat. There's only this age and the age to come. Amillennialists believe that we are living in the millennial kingdom now. This is the, the, the current age, and then the new heavens and the new earth will be the New age. Not new age, bad new age. New age, good new age. All right? Let's just be clear. Good new age. Amillennialists believe that we're presently living in the millennial kingdom. So, which, which is important, which is both characterized by suffering and victory of the gospel. Suffering and victory of the gospel. Jesus said in Mark 3 that he came to bind the strong man. What does that mean? That means that he came to bind Satan at that point. So Satan has only so much power in this age. He hasn't the power or the ability to stop the victorious gospel going forward. As we see, the gospel goes out across the world, people come to Jesus. Satan has no power to stop that. Jesus has bound him. And he came to do that. He says he came to find the strong man in Mark chapter 3. All right? But this, it's really important. Uh, the amillennialist understanding of the tension between the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. Christ came to inaugurate his kingdom. All right? When he came, he came to begin the kingdom of God, as it were. John the Baptist Behold, what is at hand? The kingdom of God. Christ came to begin the kingdom. We're not there yet. He will consummate it when He returns, and then we will live in the new heavens and the new earth. That is the amillennialist, basically the amillennialist position. Another key point to understanding of the Old, is, is Old Testament prophecy. 
amillennialists hold that the promises made to Israel, David, and Abraham are fulfilled in Christ and the church. Right? So this is really important when we get to like premillennialism and dispensationalism and stuff. This is really important to understand. Amillennialists believe that the prophecies made to Israel in the Old Testament are not specifically for Israel in the New Testament. They are for Christ and the church. They fulfill the prophecies about Israel. They are the new Israel. They are the new church. They are the new God's people. So that's really important. In summary of amillennialism, we Amillennialists believe that we are currently living in a figurative millennium. Now, we will see the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus comes again. That's when the second age will begin of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's where we will be as followers of Christ. You with me? Yeah? Amillennialism is probably the most simple position. So if you thought that was complicated, wait up next! Amillennialism is probably the most simple, simple position to hold. We live now. Christ, Christ began his kingdom when he came. We live through this age. Christ returns. We live in the new age. Right? That's probably the most simple position to hold, the amillennialist position. Well, it probably suits me. But that's it. Right? Postmillennialism. Postmillennialism holds the view that, that Christ will return after this millennium. Right? As with its very... And, and terminology doesn't help here. But, but basically, we believe... Or amillennialists believe the same thing. We be, or amillennialists believe that, that there's the millennium age, then Christ will return. Postmillennialists believe the same thing. They believe there will be a millennium, and then Christ will return. They agree on the course of events and the end times when Jesus comes, general physical resurrection. They, they believe in all those things. So, what distinguishes postmillennialism from amillennium is not the timing of the second coming in relation to the millennium, but it is the nature of the millennium itself. Whereas Amillennialists expect the church to experience both victory and suffering simultaneously right up until the end. Post-millennials believe that there will be a time that the church will be victorious on earth and that most people will get saved in that period. That's what post-millennials believe. They believe that there will be this golden age uh, I'll give you a definition, a definition given. Postmillennialism is the view of the last things which holds that the kingdom of God is now being extended in the world through the preaching of the gospel and the saving work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of individuals that the world eventually is going to be Christianized and that the return of Christ is to occur at the close of a long period of righteousness and peace commonly called the millennium. So, the difference between amillennialism and postmillennialism is this. Amillennialists believe that there will be suffering and victory until Jesus returns. Simultaneously. Suffering and victory. Now, just as a matter of interest, would you say that is your experience? I would say that's my experience. Both suffering 
and victory. Post-millennialists believe that there will be a period, this golden age, where the world will become Christianized, all right? Now, just, I'm just, I can't help comment on things. I'm sorry. I'm trying my best, but I can't help it, right? The way we're going, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. That's just me looking at the world and being like, can't see that happening right now, but I don't know. It doesn't look like that's happening, all right? It looks like, if anything, it's going the other way, all right? So that's the difference between amillennialism and post-millennialism. Then there is pre-millennialism, all right? And are you still awake? Let's just, you're with me. Yes, you're here. You're present in the age. We're not thinking about United at Newcastle at half four, right? We're here, all right? I'm trying my best. Come on, try with me, all right? Just humor me. Nod the odd time. Do something to let me know you're awake, all right? Yes, John. Yes, pre-millennialism, post-millennialism, whatever. Right, pre-millennialism. Pre-millennialism is the one that is probably amillennialism and pre-millennialism. I am going to crack the lid with myself today if I don't get sorry to get these right, are probably the two most commonly held positions. Even within premillennialism, though, there are two positions. All right? There is historic uh, premillennialism, and there is dispensational premillennialism. All right? Now, when you come to church this morning, right, you thought to yourself, John, John's going to give me the gospel, and it's all going to be good. And now you're getting your head fried, right? So, let's go with it for a wee while. So, dispensational premillennialism is the position that there are certain special dispensations for the nation of Israel itself, all right? So, the prophecies about Israel in the Old Testament are about a literal Israel in the age to come, all right? That's dispensationalism in a nutshell, all right? They believe that the prophecies in the Old Testament are literal about Israel as a nation. So when the, the, the Scriptures say that, you know, Israel will be restored, they take that literally, and they believe that Israel as a nation will be restored, all right, and will be God's people, and there will be a lot of the Jewish people come to faith in Christ. Amillennialists believe that the church is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about Israel. That's the difference. The new covenant has begun. The old covenant is gone. That's the difference between that, right? Interestingly, dispensational premillennialism, all right, and premillennialism, just, I'll, I'll, this is important before I say this, premillennialism is the idea that, that Christians will be raptured before the millennial age, all right? They will be raptured before the millennial age. They will go, be go, gone, and then there'll be this millennial age. Christ will return, and the dead will rise, and, and that will happen. Dispensational premillennialism derives its name from a theology developed by John Nelson Darby in the 19th century. I ain't that long ago. I, I'm not good at the math, but that's not that long ago. Dispensational premillennialism is a relatively new idea. It would not have been held by the early church. 
it would not have been held by anyone, really, up until the 19th century. It's a relatively new way of thinking. So, but both forms of premillennialism follow a chronological and more literal reading of Revelation 20. Greg Ladd, commentator, defines premillennialism as this. It is the doctrine stating that after the second coming of Christ, Christ will reign for a thousand years over the earth before the final consummation of God's redemptive purpose in the new heavens and the new earth of the age to come. According to historic premillennialists, the present age will come until a present age will continue until a brief period of tribulation, after which Christ will return to establish a millennial kingdom. At the second coming, there will be a resurrection of believers and a public rapture. These resurrected believers reign with Christ, who will be physically present on the earth in his resurrected body and will reign as king over the entire earth during this period. During this period, Satan is bound and cast into the bottomless pit so that he will have no influence on the earth during the millennium. After the millennium, Satan is released for a brief brief time, during which he leads astray a portion of the world's population in rebellion to Christ. Christ destroys this rebellion, judges the world, then ushers in the eternal state. This interpretation assumes, in contrast to the amillennialist and postmillennialist, that the events described in Revelation 19 and 20 are chronologically successive. And one of the things that we have come to know in Revelation is this. The events that we see unfold throughout Revelation are not chronologically successive. Do you remember the three patterns that we talked about? It's repeated over and over again, the, the, the seven bowls, the seven, uh, and the, those patterns are repeated. They are not chronologically successive. That's not the way Revelation works. So, in summary, amillennialists believe Jesus came, inaugurated his kingdom, Amillennialists believe that we live in that kingdom now, in, that, in this figurative, metaphorical millennium. Christ will return. The new heavens and the new earth is the age to come. Post-millennialists believe there is a millennium. There will be this golden age at the end of it where the world is Christianized. Christ will return. Pre-millennialists believe Christ will return then there will be this thousand-year reign of Christ. The devil will be bound. He will be released. He will go then and, and lead people astray. Then Jesus will return. Then the new heavens and the new earth. And, and the, the prophecies made about Israel in the Old Testament are literal prophecies and will be fulfilled in the literal Israel. All right? So, if there are any questions, <laughs> speak to Ronnie. All right? Ronnie will fill you in. All right? Ronaldo, the encyclopedia about Revelation? He'll sort that out. No, seriously. If there are any questions or anybody wants to speak about it, please do not. Right? Uh, we don't want this to be a cause of division. All right? So, so just don't speak about it. That's, that's the best way to avoid division. Don't speak about it. Don't mention it again. Don't want to hear nothing about it. We're finished with Revelation today. Done. All right? No, I'm joking. I'm very approachable, right? Uh, why is it important? 
Why is it even important? Well, it's important. And this sort of, I am very simplistic about the whole thing. I like to think simply about things because that's the way I am. And I like to think that Jesus came, Jesus lived the life that I don't deserve or couldn't live. He died the death that I deserve. He rose again. He's, he's coming back. Now, I know that when I die, I, I will be with Christ. The Bible says that. Paul says that. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Right? So when we die, if you're a believer, you go to, have, you go to be with Jesus. All right? That's secure. I like to think then Jesus will return at the end of the, this age, and the new heavens and the earth will be inaugurated, and that's where we'll live. New heavens, new earth, right? I'm very simple. That's the way I am. If you hold a different view, that's fine, all right? We can debate about it in heaven when we see each other, all right? It is not an issue to fall out about. It's just not. It's just simply not. Those, there are many, many complications. There are many, many intelligent people that think one thing. There are many, many intelligent people that think something else. It's up for debate. And you know what? We don't need to be right. We don't need to be right. I, I certainly don't need to be right. My, I hold my position. Somebody else could think differently. But it is important to think about it. And here's the reason why it's important to think about it. And this, as I say, that, that roundtable discussion with Piper and those guys made me think this. It's important to think about it because we think highly about the first coming of Jesus, do we not? We think about that. We think about the advent. We think about Jesus coming as God and man to the earth. And, and we, we really dwell on that, yes? So if we really dwell on that, why would we not think about the second coming? Why would we not study the second coming? Why would we not get a grasp of what is going to happen as best we can? So it is important. And so we should think about it. And so that's why I wanted to do this today, just to give us a bit of a, a simplistic overview of what it looks like or what the positions are, and then we can, th we can go away and we can think about it, we can study. Uh, if you want some resources, see me. I'll give you all the resources you need, and we, we can think about it. But, but do think about it. Do think about it. It is important. Right. So, that's the millennium. Hallelujah. Right. Now, what I want to do now is give us three things, just three simple things to take away from the book of Revelation. And they are things and themes that have been repeated and repeated and repeated. Three of the standout, major, mega themes of Revelation. And I would, lo I would love to actually, if, if we had time, I'd love to just be like, right, okay, what you, what, what's your thoughts? What's the big things that come out of Revelation for you? But, but these are the big things that I have taken note of as we've studied the book of Revelation together. I want to go right back to where we started in Revelation 4 for the first one. And it's this vision of the throne. It is the vision of God ruling and reigning over all things. And that is the first thing that I think we need to take away from Revelation is this. God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over everything. 
And remember, we talked about the vision back in the throne room when God's sitting on the throne and the angels are there and the, the elders are there and they're falling down and they're worshiping and, and, and they're worshiping uh, the Father on the throne. And, and, and the, the reason why this is, the reason why John got this vision, we, be, we believe, we looked at it, was this. It was to show that He is God and we are not. He is God and we are not. He is sovereign and in control and we are not. Now that freaks some of us out, yeah? Because some of us are in fact control freaks. But we're not in control. We are literally not in control. We can walk out of this room today and something happen that will shake our world that we did not see coming, that will change the way we live, that will affect our tomorrow, and we knew nothing about it today. That is not God. God sees, knows, plans everything. Everything. We may or may not go to the doctor this week and get a diagnosis that we do not want. That we did not see coming. And he is still on the throne. Ruling, reigning, sovereign over all things. And not just the good things. Everything everything. Everything that enters your life, everything that enters into your world is under God's sovereignty, and He is ruling and reigning. I said it when we looked at Revelation 4. Most of us confess, would confess, freely that God is sovereign. If I was to ask, the, I would say, 100% of this room, if you were to say, is God sovereign, you would be like, oh, of course, yeah, of course he is. But what if it's application of his sovereignty? What if the application of, his, of the fact that he is in control of all things ends up in a cancer diagnosis? That's when our theology of God's sovereignty is tested. That's when our theology of, of God's sovereignty hits the fan. Where the rubber hits the road, that's what happens. Is God sovereign or is God not? And from Revelation, we see that He is. All things. All things. The second thing, the second big takeaway from Revelation, first, God's sovereign over all things. Second big takeaway from Revelation is this. Persecution and suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life and are to be expected. Not, we are not to be surprised by it. Suffering and persecution are part and parcel of the Christian life, and we are to expect it, not be surprised by it. Remember chapter 6. Those who had been martyred for the sake of Jesus, they are under the altar. The, the picture that John gives us 
is in Revelation 6 of those who have suffered for the name of Jesus, those who have lost their lives for the name of Jesus. They are under the altar and they are crying out to God, how long before you avenge our blood? How long before you come in judgment and sort this out? They cry for God's justice because they know God's justice is right. They know God's justice is true and they know that he will bring it. Again, we see this echo throughout Scripture. Habakkuk, how long, O Lord? The Psalms, how long, O Lord, are you going to let the unrighteous get away with what they are getting away with? We talked about, when we looked at, at Revelation 6, we talked about the fact that are these Christians who are, who are begging, crying for the justice of God to come upon those who persecuted them and those who martyred them, are they disobeying Jesus' words where Jesus said, you must, those who, who strike you on the cheek, you must turn the other cheek? No, they are not disobeying Jesus' words because they are crying out for justice. And not just justice for themselves, but justice for all the fellow believers who have been martyred along with them and who have been persecuted with them. Persecution is a reality. What we're going to do after Easter is look at the Beatitudes. And Jesus in the Beatitudes says this, Blessed are you. So we've saw in Revelation, there's a blessing in, in, in reading and keeping the words of Revelation. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the key to that verse in the context of what we're looking at today, in the fact that persecution is a reality for Christians, it is to be expected and not be surprised, we're not to be surprised by it, is this. Blessed are you when, not if. Blessed are you when others persecute you when others revile you, when others utter all kinds of evil against you because of me. How many of us, right? How many of us consider it a blessing when others revile us and persecute us because of Jesus? I just be honest, I don't. I don't consider it a blessing because the self-preserving need to be liked, uh, want to be loved by everybody John doesn't like it. I don't, I don't like people saying things about me, even if it's about Jesus, even if it's about righteousness. Even if it's a, I don't like it. How many of us consider it a blessing? when persecution comes our way because of the kingdom of God. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Maybe we're, not begin, maybe we're not even receiving it. Maybe we don't receive persecution because of the kingdom of God. Maybe we don't receive persecution because of Jesus. Maybe we don't receive persecution because of righteousness because we're not out there showing it. Let me, let me dare to say this. If you're not being persecuted because of righteousness, if 
you're not being persecuted for Jesus, the probability is you're not displaying Jesus or talking about Jesus. You may be being persecuted for other reasons, and it may not be nothing to do with Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. Persecution is to be expected. If you're following Jesus, it is to be expected, and we're not to be surprised by it. Third and final thing that we take away from Revelation is this. Jesus is victorious. And he is coming back soon. Jesus is victorious, and he is coming back soon. He is sovereign over all things. Persecution is to be expected, and not, we're not to be surprised by it. But Jesus, folks, is victorious. He has won. I just read about it in Mark chapter 3. He has bound the strong man. He is bound. He has, no, uh, he has no authority against the gospel. We can be sure. You can be a hundred percent sure. This is one, this is one of the most encouraging words. Uh, you will be a hundred percent sure if you go and share the gospel that the Holy Spirit will save those who are supposed to be saved. Amen? Satan has no power over that. None. Ever think about that when when we think about evangelism? Oh, Satan's holding him back. No, he's not. He's not. He has no power to do that. None. When Christ calls, people respond. Simple. Satan has no power. He has been defeated. Jesus is victorious, and he is coming back soon. Are we ready? Are we ready? We had a conversation on the back of last week's sermon in our connect group this week about just that, are we ready? And I, I threw the arbitrary date out there of if, if we were told, if we, factually, if we were told Jesus is coming back, this was Wednesday night, if Jesus is coming back on Friday at three o'clock, how would your life look different? Number one thing people said is that they would share the gospel with everyone they met. Number one, they would share the gospel with every single person they met. Let me ask us a question. Why the blazes are we not doing that now? Why am I not doing it now? We've read Revelation. We know there are two destinations. There is eternal glory with Christ Jesus. And we know there is a burning lake of sulfur. Let me ask us again, why the blazes are we not sharing the gospel? Why am I not sharing the gospel? I don't understand myself, folks. I don't. If you have any clues, any ideas, let me know. 
We have the greatest news. We have the only news. We have, we have the greatest Savior. We have the greatest God. We have the most gracious, loving, heavenly Father who wants to forgive people, who wants to lead people into freedom. We need to take that to the world. We need to take that out there. We need to take it around this town. We need to take it wherever you are. Wherever you will be tomorrow morning, you need to take it there. I always reference uh, when we're out cycling. That's where, you know, we should be, I should be sharing the gospel when I'm out cycling. Currently, I'm no fit state to breathe, never mind uh, share the gospel. But, but we should be. Again, let me be clear on something, just so that we're clear, so that we're crystal. Jesus, speaking to the disciples, said, go into the world, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, right? Who did he say that to? The, the disciples, the twelve, right? If you're a follower of Christ in here, what are you? A uh, disciple. It's your job. It's your job. It's not just my job. It's not just Cornerstone Church's job. Funny story. You're not like me telling us. But Marcus and I joke, right? We do. We're funny fellas. You would know. We're funny boys. We joked yesterday, right? He was giving off to me about not sharing the gospel, and I was retorting back, let's just say. But what he said was, jokingly, sure, I asked him to corner, so I asked him to come to church. Is that not what we're supposed to do? Will you not finish off the job? All right? All right? That's a, that's a running joke, all right? Just so that you know. And I was like, flipping, not my job. It is my job as me, but it's not my job as the pastor of Cornerstone Church. We're in this together. We are in this together. I, I love days like yesterday, where I see the church in operation, loving and serving the community. And it's one of those times where you get a real sense that you're in it together, you know? We're in it as a team. We're, in it, we're doing it together. So is disciple-making. We're in it together. We all have a part to play. We all have a word to speak. We all have a word to share. Let's do it together. Let's take the gospel, take this greatest news we have into the world together. All right? So, three takeaways. I, I guarantee you now, if I was to ask you what amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, you wouldn't have a clue, right? But anyway, go back and listen to it. It'll be fun listening. Uh, three takeaways. God is sovereign over all things. All things. Persecution is to be expected, and we are not to be surprised by it. And three, Jesus is victorious, and he is coming soon. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Revelation. Thank you that 
what you say about it is true, that there is a blessing in it. And I pray that we would keep it. I pray that we would hold fast to it. We would not move from it, as you said. We would not add to it. We would not take away from it. And I pray that we would love you. Above all things, for the rest of our lives, we would love Jesus. Thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.